Welcome to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this spirit-filled message that it blesses your week and brings you joy and perspective. To connect with us, hop on social media and for more information, head to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. looking at Matthew 26 uh, tonight, and I just, what I want to do is actually, there's 75, ver- 75 verses in Matthew 26, and I just want to um, actually, there's a theme that runs through that chapter, which I actually want to pick out, but I feel like I should just overview the chapter rather than read the whole chapter, but, because the whole chapter is um, majorly important, so it opens that, it, that uh, Jesus is saying to the disciples, it's two days before the feast of the Passover, and that would have been amazingly significant, especially to Jesus, because you had the sacrifice of the Lamb at the Passover, and then you had the Lamb of God. And just that whole crossover and significance would not have been lost on them. But there was something in the disciples, when you read the scripture, when you read the gospels, there was something about them that was either in denial or they were just like seriously just not getting it that Jesus was about to die. And it's like he's having to say to them, I'm about to die, guys. Um, And it just sort of... And he says, I'm about to... He says, the Son of Man is going to be handed over and crucified. And it says in Matthew 26, at that very moment, the chief priest Caiaphas and all his leaders were conspiring how they could take him by force, but subtly, so nobody knew, and kill him. So there's this subplot of get, wanting to get rid of Jesus. And you know, when there's light in the world, darkness wants to stamp it out. And we need to understand that Jesus knew what was about to happen. It says that then that Jesus went into the house of Simon the leper uh, in Bethany, and he was at dinner. And in those days, dinner, it means actually to be fully reclined. So actually lying like on a couch like this, but with your legs up, eating food. So he was in a relaxed condition. And then this woman comes in, and she has an alabaster box of spikenard, which was a really precious ointment. And they used to use spikenard to actually make bodies smell fresh once, they'd, once the person had died because there was no way of embalming and keeping the body fresh. So they anointed the body for burial. And she's, she breaks this oil. It says she poured it out, but there's a, it also says in another version it, it, that it broke. But she pours out or breaks this oil on Jesus' head, and the whole room is filled with the fragrance of that act. And we're going to look at, in a, a little bit about the act of worship in that sense, because... When you worship like that, the whole room is filled with the fragrance of Christ. And something happens. And so you'd think their response would be, wow. But their response was, what a waste of money. And this could have been sold to give to the poor. And he says, you know, the poor you have with you always. The message says... This is a criminal act. This money could have been used for something better. And he, you know what Jesus says? Leave her alone. For what she's done has anointed me for burial. And then at that very moment, 
it says Judas ran out or went out of the room and he went to the high priest and he said, what will you give me if I give up, give you Jesus? And they say, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. And then it says that Judas looked for an opportunity to offer Jesus up. And they're at the Passover meal. And then Jesus talks about betrayal. And he says, one of you who eats food with me is going to betray me. And he says, it's better that that man had never been born than he betrays the Son of Man, the Son of God. And Judas comes back in and he says, it's, it's not I, is it, Lord? And Jesus says, don't play games with me, Judas. And I know this is like serious subject matter, but I can also feel like the Holy Spirit all over this. Because there is something about the reality of what Judas did and then later on what Peter does when he denies Christ and the comparison there. Anyway... Jesus takes the bread and the wine and he says, this is my body broken for you and this is the wine, my blood poured out for you for forgiveness of sin. And then they sing a hymn and the, all of he and the disciples, they rise up and they go out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus goes to his special place. And he, but he says on the way, you know, by the time this night is over, every one of you will have left me. Every one of you will have run away. Peter says, even in death, I'll follow you to death. I'll follow you to the death. I will never run away. I'll never deny you. But then it also says that the disciples, they all said the same thing. That disciples all said the same thing. We will never deny you. We'll never run away from you. And he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, even before the cock crows. And so they move on from, they go up the Mount of Olives and they move to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And that word Gethsemane means the oil press or the wine press. And he says to the disciples, um, I'm going to go over and pray. You, you wait here and you, you tarry with me. And he says, I'm going, to go and, I'm going to go and pray. And it says that a sorrow came upon him so strong that it was like a sorrow unto death. And then he's wrestling. And he says, let this cup pass from me, God, but not my will, but yours be done. And then another version or another one of the gospels says he was sweating drops of blood and sweat. Then he goes to the disciples and they've fallen asleep and he says, couldn't you watch with me just for one hour? The spirit is strong but the flesh is weak. And in the message it uh, reads, there is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. And this is not to stir up any guilt or any shame or anything like that, but I, I tell you, I recognize that sometimes there's, a, there's such a desire for God in all of us, and then there's, there's such a laziness sometimes. There's a, such a, a pulling back and a, and a, you know what, I'll just settle for the status quo. And, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is here tonight to actually comfort us, love on us, 
and say, come on, you can make it. Heather gave that great word um, about running. You did run well. But keep running. See, he, it says he's, we've got a high priest who understands our infirmities, our weaknesses. So he's not out there beating us with a stick. He's saying, hey, come on. Follow me, guys. Let's run. Let's stick together. Anyway, he prays a second time. And he's basically saying, I, you know, if I need to drink this cup to the very dregs, the very bottom, I will. Not my will. Your will. And the disciples are still asleep. And he doesn't say anything more to them. And he prays and a third time. And it says he struggled and sweated drops of blood. And he was in such anguish. And then he goes to the disciples and he said, will you sleep all night? Get up because those that are, though he who's betrayed me has come. And there's Judas and he, he's leading this band of, uh, this great group of people that are coming with swords and with um, staves, with clubs to take him. And Judas comes up and kisses him on the cheek. And again, that charade, that pretense. And, um, and they take Jesus and they rough him up, basically. They shove him around a bit and they grab him. And Peter, it says in, in the other accounts as well, but Peter takes a sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. And then actually in the other account, Jesus heals that ear. And you would think they would even know then that they were dealing with the Son of God. But they, you see, this is where it gets interesting because there's a choice to ignore the power of God. And I think, I know I'm talking to the converted, but we need to not ignore the power of God in our lives. We need to not ignore the nudge of the Holy Spirit. We need to not ignore the manifest presence of God in our lives. He says, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. He said, don't you understand? I could call down 12 legions of angels, but this needs to happen so that scripture can be fulfilled, so that I can die, so that you can live. He says, why are you treating me like a dangerous criminal? I was with you in the temple and you never took me. And by the time he's finished speaking that, it says that the 12 disciples have run away. All of them have run away. And he was on his own. He gets taken to Caiaphas, the high priest. And it says that Peter, at a safe distance, was watching. And um, it says that they were cooking up charges against Jesus. But none of the charges stuck. Two men came in and they said, You're, he said he was going to tear down the temple and build it again in three days. But even that charge didn't stick. And then the, the high priest, he gets really, he starts to get really mad. And he goes, are you the Christ? Are you the son of living God? And Jesus looks at him and he said, you said it. You'll see soon that I'll I'm seated on the right hand of my father and I'm coming in the clouds with power. And the high priest screams at him, blasphemy. And he rips his cloak, and he, he basically is just frothing. You know, he's just so beside himself with anger, and that's what religion will do to you. It will make you not see sense. It will make you not recognize what's in front of you, the very living God. And he screamed, blasphemy, and then the crowd shouted, death, that's what he deserves, death. And so they spit in his face, and they hit him around the head, and they beat him up, and as they're doing that, they're saying, come on, master, come on, prophesy. Who was it? What's the name of the person that hit you? 
And Peter all the time is watching this. And he comes into the courtyard and there's a servant girl and she says, you were with him, I know you're with him. And he denies that he was with Jesus. And he moves away and he distances himself. And then another girl, another servant girl accuses him. And this time he swears. He swears and says, I don't know him. And then the third time, he says that he's moved now into the bystanders and he's just trying to fit in with the crowd. And somebody says to him, hey, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean like he is. We, we know by your accent. And he, again, he swears and he says, I don't know him. I've never known him. And as he does that, the rooster crows. And it says in Luke 22's account that Jesus turned and he looked Peter in the eye. And I think that must have been one of the most devastating things that could ever happen to a person. That look of Jesus in his eye. But I wonder actually how he looked at him. I actually think there would have been so much love and so much acceptance. There wouldn't have been shock and horror. There would have been, hey, Peter, I know you. Because what I think is so exciting, he knew exactly where to look for Peter. And he looked him out. And so that's... Matthew 26. And the things I want to bring out is, oh, sorry, and then it says that Peter slips away and he cried and he cried and he cried. And there were four acts of consequence by four different people in Matthew 26. And I just want to briefly look at these. There was a woman who did a memorable act. There was a disciple who perpetrated an act of betrayal. There was Peter who performed an act of denial. And Jesus who made the ultimate sacrificial act. And so we have a quick look at the memorable act. And it says in Matthew 26, verse 6 to 9, When Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him as he was eating dinner and anointed him with a bottle of very expensive perfume. When the disciples saw what was happening, they were furious. That's criminal. This could have been sold for a lot of money and, the hand, and handed out to the poor. And when Jesus realized what was going on, he intervened. Why are you giving this woman a hard time? She has just done something wonderfully significant for me. You will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives, but not me. When she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. You can be sure that wherever in the whole world this message is preached, what she has just done is going to be remembered and admired. And she was. She's remembered in three of the Gospels. Jesus is comfortable. He's surrounded in this this setting of dinner with people who have pasts. And Jesus tonight is comfortable with people who have pasts. And though our pasts are washed away and and they're they're washed away completely, he's still comfortable around those. He knows us intimately. And I take great courage and comfort in that says that what this woman did, Jesus said, was so profound that it would be remembered wherever the gospel is preached as a memorial to her. I just want to ask you tonight, are you living a life that's worth remembering? You're very, very quiet, but that's okay. Are you living a life that's worth people to remember? It's so important that we know what that is. You see, people do the most bizarre things to be remembered. In the Guinness Book of Records, there is a record for the farthest marshmallow blown out of a nostril into the mouth of a catcher. It's a girl, a guy and a girl. Their mums must be so proud. 
That's a good youth game, eh? Um, oh, by the way, it's 5.46 metres. That's 17 foot 11 inches. Anyway, there's also a guy who, who ate a light aircraft. He ground it up and ate it, basically. You can imagine him before God. <laughs> what did you do with your life? I ate a light aircraft. Yay. There's four things about this woman that are really important. She did what she could do, it says in the account in Luke. She did what she could do. And are you doing what you can do? Are you using what you have? Are you living your life where you're planted? Or are you singing like somewhere over the rainbow? You know, this is going to happen. She did what she could do. So she brought what she had and she offered it to Jesus. And sometimes we need to stop analyzing what we have and just bring it to Jesus, anoint him with it, as it were, figuratively speaking, but laying it down before him and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've given me. Point two was that she was criticized. And sometimes you have to all the time. You have to move in the face of criticism. You have to be brave. You have to be, we have to be those, you know, when others, because what happened was this woman made them uncomfortable. And sometimes how we live, how we worship, how we live our lives, it makes people uncomfortable. You know, I, I grew up with friends and people in church and um, some of my oldest friends, you know, and, and even the some of the pastors I grew up under, you know, of late they've been saying, you know, I hope you're not becoming too religious because uh, I see on Facebook, you know, I hope you're not neglecting your family. You're going to church every week. And I'm like, when did that ever be a, be a thing? You know, like you're going to, and I'm not mocking them, but what I'm saying is we, it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift away from, um, and we, you know, we're not into doing things just for the sake of doing it. But I tell you what, there's sometimes this criticism rise up and we just have to stand up and go, you know what, I don't care, I'm going to worship. You know, I don't care, I'm going to live my life for God because I know the benefits, I know the life that I've got. And it's so good to be able to live like that. The third thing was she did it on time. So she wasn't waiting for recognition she actually didn't even wait for the meal to end, which was the protocol. She just did it when she felt. And, there, you know, there is that. Sometimes there is that, hey, let's just do it. You know, what God's asking you to do, just do it. Stop waiting. Stop going, oh, I'll do it in six months' time. Just do it. Do it as an act of worship to Jesus. If he's calling you to, I don't know, start a business, if he's calling you to go to Bible school, if he's calling you to serve at church, if he's calling you to... I don't know, evangelize, whatever, just do it and do it as an act of worship to the Savior because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of us pouring out our lives. He's worthy of us actually going, you know what, this seems expensive to me and precious, but I tell you what, I'm going to lay it down for Jesus because he's worthy of it all. And then she had, there was brokenness. She, there was a brokenness about her and in Luke 7, there's a, they believe there were two accounts, like two women that did the same thing. Because the this, this second account, which is worth just noting, inserting in here, 
The second account, it talks about, um, I'll just read this to you. It was Simon who, um, uh, whose house was opened up. And he said, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Because it says she was a, she was a prostitute. She was the town prostitute. This was another woman that was um, anointing Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, you offered me no water to wash my feet. She has washed and kissed my feet with tears nonstop and wiped my feet with her hair like a towel. And in those days, they didn't really put money in banks and things like that. They bought things like alabaster boxes of, of perfume that were massively expensive. And that was their form of savings. And she brought everything that she had, everything that represented her life. And I don't want to be crude when I say this, but I have said this before, but I don't want to be crude when I say it. She was a prostitute, so all of her earnings, immoral earnings, she went, you know what? Even though it's wrong what I've done, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm bringing it as I am. I'm not bringing the pretty version. I'm not bringing the version that I want people to see. I'm bringing the version that God knows me as. And I'm going to lay it down. Because this summed up... That was her life in that ointment, in that perfume that she poured on Jesus. And did Jesus go, get it off me? No, he went, this is the anointing for my burial. This is amazing. What she has done will be remembered. We were singing, I'll become even more undignified than this. And I love the way that went. But I wonder, just when she, she did that, it was like there was no one else in the room, just her and Jesus. And again, it's not a... Uh, comparison thing, but when were you last just so unaware of everybody else just pouring it out for Jesus like just as it were desolate in a sense where you're just, I don't care, I'll wipe my hair, on, I'll wipe his feet with my hair, I'll, I'll cry on his feet, it's just like she was abandoned to him and I believe we're coming into a days of abandonment in worship and I believe we, should, we will see that again and it will c- continue on when did you worship like you just didn't care? Because she just didn't care. She didn't care who was watching. There's strong evidence from the gospel accounts that Jesus felt very isolated and alone in these last days leading up to Calvary. And I said to Heather, I hadn't quite realized I was reading the other, I think it was in Luke as well, the version, this version that is all about the same thing. And then it inserts literally at the time where Jesus has said, I'm about to be crucified. And it says, they broke out a fight among them. Who was the greatest? And I know we all get like exactly that. You go, wow. And I was the same. And I thought, but it's how we are, isn't it, sometimes? It's, there's this main event and we get sidetracked by a side event. Night, God's saying, what's the main event? Yeah. Keep your eye on the main event. And I think Jesus, again, this is my opinion, I think he would have appreciated so much, and I mean this very carefully when I say this, but the touch of another person at that time. 
when the disciples could have been hugging him. They're fighting over who's the greatest. When they could be, I don't know, maybe they did do all that, I don't know, but it just seems to me that this thing just, it would have been such a soothing for him. It would have been like a balm for him, I think. And can we agree together tonight as a church family to live the things that impress God rather than things that just impress us? It's so important. So the Betrayer's Act, so that was the memorable act. This is the Betrayer's Act. Matthew 26, verse 14 to 16 says that that, that is when one of the 12, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the, the high priest and said, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? They settled on 30 silver pieces. He began to look uh, for just the right moment to hand him over, hand Jesus over. So it opens up with that is when. What is when? It is when Mary, when this woman was worshipping, he decided, I'm going to give Jesus up. Just like there must have been this, I don't know, maybe there was jealousy. Or I, I just don't know what it was. But it says that is when he decided to hand Jesus over. And it says they settled on a price. It sounds like they even bargained down Judas. And it just got a hold of me that all of a sudden you've got a value being placed on the son of God's life. Isn't that amazing? They valued his life. And... and I don't know, it just, just, I don't know, just really moved me. 30 pieces of silver. Let me tell you what that is. That's in today's money, today's understanding. Four months' wages for the average person in Australia. That's possibly a deposit on a house. Possibly. It's a new Mazda 2. It's a new Harley-Davidson Sportster. It won't even buy you the cheapest room on the QE2 World Cruise in 2019. You may get a business class around the world on Qantas with limited stops. 30 pieces of silver is the average annual food bill for a family of four or half a year's rent. How do you value the life of the Son of God? So Judas wept. Judas wept in Matthew 27 and was never restored. Peter wept and he was. There's intention and then there's insincerity as well. But Judas played games. But, you know, he wept because he was caught. He wept because he negotiated a deal. He wept because it didn't turn out well for him. He wept because his peers despised him. It says in Matthew 27, verse 4, Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. Overcome, overcome with remorse, he gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest, saying, I've sinned, I've betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. That's how they treated him. They didn't treat him as an equal. And Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. And then he went out and he hung himself. Judas means he shall be praised. And I know this is a, like, there's this mixed sort of stories and so on. But, you know, our life is to be a life of praise towards Jesus. Our life is to be lived in praise towards him. And can I put it, you see, Judas went out and he hung himself, but can I just say, sometimes we can fall over, but we need to get back up. We need to not end our spiritual life. We actually need to go, you know what, life is worth living. I've got a life, I'm going to praise him with it. 
You know, we can do some dumb things and some people go, oh, you know, I've, I've betrayed Jesus and so on. I don't believe that because your heart would not be soft. Your heart would not be too tender toward God. Your heart would not be seeking God and repentance and remorse if that was the case. And look, I'm going to throw in this. I reckon, even though it says Jesus said it would be better that he wasn't born, I reckon if Judas had hang on to after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is just my opinion, there would have been salvation for him because there is no sin that Jesus wouldn't forgive. The deniers act. It says that Peter meant well, but he failed. But he picked himself back up because he denied Jesus. But he put himself back in the game. Peter wept and he was restored. Peter put himself in danger. He came back and hung around Jesus. And remember um, Dave Pruthett was preaching last week and he was saying, you know, all, all, everyone seems to remember Peter's flaws. Remember that? He was saying, you know, everyone remember, come on, you know, that's not fair. No one seemed to remember that all the other disciples disappeared. It was Peter that came back. It was Peter that hung around. It was Peter that kept close. Even though he denied, he came back. And listen, let me say this, keep coming back. All of us keep coming back. When we fail, get up. Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter protested, even if I had to die with you, I would never deny you. And all the others said the same thing. You're not worthy you know, you can feel like you're not worthy because you've let Jesus down or whatever. But, you know, we were singing tonight. He didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. My sin was great. His love was greater. And you can feel not worthy tonight, but I tell you what, the blood of Jesus Christ puts you back on top of the mountain, puts you back on top of the world, puts you back on top of your circumstances, puts you back, brings you back from a place of denial, brings you back from a place of of walking away. And many of us can testify to that. You don't measure up. Well, who does? You're not worthy. Well, who is? Peter despised himself. He wounded the one he loved the most. And I reckon he felt, because I think we've all done it at times, you can talk to yourself like, what a piece of trash you are. But the truth is, Jesus loved him very, very much. And the truth is, and we can all nod at that and we go, yeah, Peter was a good guy. But the truth is, you are a good man and you are a good woman. And Jesus loves you very much. And you're not Judas. You're Simon Peter. And do you know what Jesus said? I give you back your ministry after he's risen. He goes, feed my sheep. Isn't that amazing? Feed my sheep. You know, Peter wrote more about humility than any other book in the Bible. He was a man of weakness and denial, and he becomes the apostle of boldness and of faith. And that is something to celebrate. Because the trials and the things that we muck up 
We don't aim to muck up, but when we muck up, when we stand up, I tell you what, God turns it around, puts in a great foundation, and we flourish. Because God is good. And I just love that part where it's, it's such a visual thing that their eyes connected. Jesus knew exactly where Peter was. And, you know, after that, what's he say when he's risen? He says, go tell the disciple I'm alive and tell Peter also. And that is just an amazing scripture that gives us great hope. If we could get the band up, that would be amazing. Thank you. And then the last one is the sacrificial act of Jesus in Matthew 26, 36 to 39. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane and he told the disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. And then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, my father, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. What do you want? From Jesus' death, <clears throat> new wine was poured out on the earth. And this was Gethsemane, the place of the wine press. The place where grapes were crushed and wine was made. And this can be an aspect of the gospel that, and discipleship living that we can sanitize. It's distasteful to us that there can never be any suffering or there can never be any sweating. It says he went to the Mount of Olives as was his custom. And it was often before the break of day, often he pulled himself away from the crowd. And I just want to put this out there, but you know, we do need a, a place and a time of prayer. And I know it's popular to say, you know, well, Religion says that you need to do, have a prayer time in the morning and then, um, you know, we don't want to be religious, so basically I just jump in my car and go to work and I speak in tongues for a few minutes. But, but actually, I do believe that there is a... God does have places where he meets people. And I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone needs... I don't know, everyone needs it, but I've known... I know where that place where I meet with God is. I know where that is and I think there's nothing wrong with that I think because Jesus said he went to his place and it was on the Mount of Olives and he met with the Father so I'm challenging in that if it feels like a challenge it is a challenge because I do think it's old fashioned but I think it's truth that we need a place of prayer we need a place where we know it's us and God he's not competing with outside stuff He's got our ears, he's got our eyes, he's got our heart. He sweated great drops of blood. He wrestled with the will of the Father. I think sometimes we can just brush over this, but you need to understand, he said, can this, pu- can this, cup, can this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will. So his will was, let this cup pass, but yours be done. That gives me great courage and comfort. Because sometimes I feel like that and sometimes you have felt like that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this relationship. I don't want to be in this church. I don't want to be blah, 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 whatever it is. But you've gone, you know what, God? 
it's not about me, it's about you. And Jesus knew that this act, this amazing act, was going to have the most amazing, miraculous, eternal repercussions. And sometimes we need to realize that we don't have to know exactly what God is doing in our lives for it to have major miraculous repercussions. So when we act on what God is saying, it's like seeds sown in the ground. And that's just amazing. Sometimes we want to know sweat Christianity. Jesus sweated drops of blood. You know, there will be times when you sweat over your call. There'll be times when you sweat over what God's asking you to do. There's a counting of the cost. And that's important. Sometimes you'll be sweating on your own. Sometimes you'll be sweating it out with others. But I believe God has given us this, this mind. It says the renewing of the mind. But he's actually caused us to be um, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. But we are, he's called us to be intelligent. I was thinking about that song, the new wine song, uh, Hill song. I came here with nothing. Jesus, make new wine out of me. Just think about what you're singing. How do you get new wine? It's not by one grape, but it's by grapes being crushed. And we don't like that typology, but it's very scriptural typology. Good stuff comes out of a life that's laid down. New wine comes out of sacrificial living. New wine comes from wrestling with God. New wine comes from not my will, but yours be done. Simple truth, but it's the truth. See, the act of the cross was not decided on the cross. It was decided in the garden. I'll say it again. The act of the cross, Jesus being nailed on the cross, that was an outcome of a decision made in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. And a lot of what we do, we, you see, we look at things, we look at people, we look at ministries, we look at businesses, we look at, oh, success, blah, blah, blah. But that's, we look at that and we go, I want that. But actually, the success of that was done in the secret place the success the success of that was done in the garden of gethsemane the success of that was done in the sweating the success of that was done in the anxious moments the feeling of separation from god where are you god what are you doing in my life what's happening what's going on here